0: All right, good morning, beloved. You can open your Bibles with me, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. It's been a, a couple of weeks since I've been up here, so before we begin, I just want to first thank Pastor Rick for bringing us those two wonderful, powerful messages that he gave us. It's always a... A joy for me to be ministered to by my earthly father. and I'm also so grateful that God gave him a Barnabas. If you were here last week, you get that. My mother continues to be, for all of us, a, a letter from Christ, not written in ink, but with the spirit of the living God, as Paul would say. Um, today, as we turn our attention back to the Gospel of John, we'll be in verses 27 through 38 of chapter 11 this morning, as John reveals to us some extraordinary insight into the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the humanity of the Lord Jesus, and when we think of the Gospel of John, he is presenting to us certainly the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus of Nazareth, a man that we witnessed A man that we spent three and a half years with is God incarnate. And from John and the apostles' perspective, we've seen this. And we've seen this in John's gospel, haven't we? Uh, In fact, if you recall, John opens his gospel in John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But also, in the Gospel of John, are extraordinary insights into the humanity of Jesus as well. For example, in John chapter 1, verse 14, in that same prologue, those first 18 verses in the Gospel of John, he said, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory from the Father, full of grace, And truth. And this is really at the heart of the Christian faith, isn't it? It's what separates Christianity from certainly every other religion in the world. It is that Jesus Christ was both fully God and fully man. It is that Jesus Christ never surrendered his deity, rather, he added to it humanity we read in the new testament that jesus was born of a woman that he grew in wisdom and stature that he hungered and he ate he fasted and he prayed he was tempted in all things as we are he physically grew weary and he had to sit down He experienced real human emotions as we'll see in these verses today. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So in Jesus we then see perfect humanity. We see humanity without flaw. We see humanity without sin. This in many ways is what we were intended to be and what Adam once was before the fall. Here in this passage, we see the loving affection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the intimacy he shared with others, even in his tears. And this is what God desires each one of us to be as we walk in the same way as Jesus walked. We are to be moved in the same way that Jesus was moved. This is what you and I need to be. As we look at the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now we pick up this text sort of in the middle of the chapter since it's been a few weeks and we started it a couple weeks ago. Let me uh, remind you of where we're at. As chapter 11 opens we're introduced to a man named Lazarus. Lazarus is a close friend of the Lord Jesus Christ and we find out that Lazarus is deathly sick. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, who also live in Bethany, send word by messenger to Jesus saying, the one that you love is sick. Now what's interesting is Jesus is about 20 miles away from Bethany. He's across the Jordan River. And when Jesus gets this urgent message, he doesn't rush off to go heal his friend Lazarus. He doesn't heal Lazarus from a distance uh, like he did with a nobleman's son. In fact, when Jesus hears that his friend is sick, he delays going to him for two whole days. And then he tells his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So we get a glimpse here that the Lord Jesus Christ has a a far greater purpose in all of this. A healing would have certainly been incredible, but what Jesus has planned will put into motion a series of events that not only will strengthen the disciples' faith, but it will be the very means he uses to call all sinners to himself that will forever change the world. This will put into motion the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the raising of of Lazarus well that was sort of scene one that we spent in the introduction the first 16 verses the next week in scene two we see that Jesus travels to Bethany and on his way there he meets Martha who who actually runs out to go meet the Lord Jesus and she says to him Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died and Jesus said Martha your brother will rise again And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But in verse 25, Jesus said something so incredible as if to say, Martha, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Martha, do you believe this? And in verse 27, Martha then gave one of the most powerful confessions of faith that we see in scriptures. She said to him, Yes, Lord! I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. So that's where we last left off two weeks ago. Some powerful verses, but these are coming up or, or even greater, I think, in our relation with the Lord Jesus. So let's pick this story back up now in in verse 28 uh, this is the third scene if you will in this incredible unfolding drama in the raising of Lazarus we're going to have to come back next week to see him actually come out of the grave um, we'll start in verse 28 and we'll read through to verse 37 this week as um, we can take a, a closer look after I read these I, and, and the point I want you to notice. Are four features of the humanity of Jesus Christ in these verses we we really get a fuller understanding of who Jesus Christ is and i 'm really excited to share these verses with you so let 's begin there in, in, in verse twenty eight it says when she had said this 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 uh, refers to martha and, and that glorious confession that we just read in verse 27 yes lord i believe that you are the christ the son of god who is coming into the world so so when she martha had said this she went and called her sister mary saying in private the teacher is here and is calling for you and when she heard it she rose quickly and went to him now jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Verse 31. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was greatly troubled. And Jesus said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? As we look at the humanity of the Lord Jesus as revealed in these verses, I want to um, first draw your attention to the intimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The intimacy. Let's start again in verse 28. It says, when Martha had said this, again the confession in verse 27, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, or or privately, the teacher is here, and is calling for you. Now, Mary, you might remember from uh, other scriptures, uh, Luke 10, I think it is, uh, was the sister who earlier in in Luke 10, this would have been not included in John's gospel, but, but Luke includes it, was the one sitting at the Lord's feet, you'll remember, listening to every word that the Lord was saying. And it was Martha in that story who, who was distracted getting all the preparations ready for hosting Jesus and the apostles. So Martha is depicted sort of as the one always on the go, she's the busybody. So Martha ha- has gone out and, and met the Lord Jesus first before he had even arrived in, into town and t- to the house. So now she goes to the house and she calls Mary saying in private, Mary's back at the house saying, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. Now it's not specifically stated in the text, but I think it's right to imply from this that Jesus had told Martha to tell Mary secretly because Jesus wants to meet with Mary individually and privately. He wants to talk to her one-on-one. And this really points to the intimate relationship Jesus has with the family of God. And certainly with this family. And is a great reminder for us that he knows us intimately. He knows our heart. And he knows Mary's. And her heart is certainly grieving over the loss of her brother, Lazarus. So Jesus sends Martha... And he wants to meet alone with her. So Martha says, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. Let's we'll pause there just for a moment. The teacher. <laughs> That's how disciples would have often referred to Jesus. The word disciple, of course, means uh, student or learner. <laughs> and it's only natural then that, that she would refer to Jesus as teacher, but, but not just a teacher. Please note, the teacher. the teacher she understands that jesus the son of god the son of man is the greatest teacher who has ever walked this earth (laughs) he is the source of all truth and the and the teacher is here and he's calling for you (laughs) and so jesus takes the initiative to call mary in order that he could console her and to comfort her Jesus is being much like the Holy Spirit here who is referred to as the comforter. And we see how the triune Godhead truly works in tandem with one another, possessing all the same attributes as Jesus here desires to to comfort Mary and her broken heart. And so he draws near to those who are suffering. So in verse 29, and when she, Mary, heard it, she, she rose quickly and went to him. The coming of her Lord had such an effect upon her that Mary rose up quickly. She, she sprung into action, if you will, amid, amid the ashes of her sorrow as she went out to go meet the Lord Jesus. We might say she was making haste to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. And wouldn't you? If you knew that Jesus was calling you and he wanted to meet you with you, you would bolt to Jesus. <laughs> Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So Jesus still remains outside of the city, possibly so he can avoid this massive crowd that would have been gathering there so he can have this private conversation with Mary. And again, this really speaks to the the personal relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly in a a gathering like this, we can collectively meet and and sit here today and sing and and worship our Lord together. But he does desire to meet with us, uh, each and every one of us individually and personally. Verse 31, now when the Jews who were with her, with, with Mary... This is in the house. They were consoling her. When they saw Mary rise up quickly and to go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So we know that, that, that they're uninformed to the message that was sent to Mary. So because Martha had told Mary secretly about the Lord wanting to speak to her, th- those there, those who are mourning with her, assume that they have gone off to the tomb, that Mary has gone to the tomb. And so those who were in her home instinctively just also rose to the feet, and they followed Mary so that they could comfort her there. Verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet. She just melted Under the emotional strain of losing her brother Lazarus. And upon seeing the Lord Jesus at last come. The Lord is is finally here. She collapses at the Lord's feet. And beloved there's no better place to be than at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Better to be at the feet of Jesus than standing anywhere else. And so there's Mary at the feet of our Lord. And she says, Lord, and and that too is a strong confession. (laughs) Her sister said, you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Earlier we also saw that she said, the teacher. And now Mary's confession of Jesus as Lord. Kyrios in the Greek, it means sovereign one, master. He is far more than a carpenter. He is far more than, than even just a teacher. <laughs> he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And Mary believes this. Mary confesses at the feet of Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, this is a, a repeat of what Martha had said earlier. And as I said a couple weeks ago, I do not believe that this is in any way a a rebuke to our Lord Jesus Christ. No, this is really a statement of faith that that if you had only been here, you have the power, you could have and would have healed him and made my brother well. I believe that. Where were you, Jesus? And this is actually a a statement of, of, of great faith on the part of Mary. And it is the faith that you and I must have as well. And what's so amazing about Mary is we see her only three times in in the gospel account records. And each time, she is at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 10, verse 39, when the Lord was teaching, she was at His feet. Here in John chapter 11, verse 32, she's at the feet of our Lord. And then in the next chapter, of course, in John chapter 12, verse 3, is she anoints the Lord's feet with perfume and And wipes his feet with her her hair at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ as an act of worship. Mary loves the Lord Jesus Christ. She has thrown herself at the Lord's feet. But it is the Lord who has loved her first. (laughs) And so what we see here is the effects of this deep intimacy uh, the Lord has with those who love him. So that was point number one of the humanity of Jesus. The, the, the intimacy that, that we see in this story in the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number two I want you to see in our text this morning is also the, the deep emotions that our Lord has that, that, that we see come out of these next verses. And again, this is the humanity part of the Lord Jesus Christ that He reveals in these verses and and in some ways it's a continuation of the intimacy but it's a little bit different and and don't don't forget that this was really unknown at this time that any man and never mind a a rabbi lord would would have this kind of tender affection with these women Mary and Martha this did not happen during this time Certainly not in the open for people to see. Greek mythology at this time, the Romans and the Greeks were engulfed in Greek gods who were, who were lukewarm. They were Stoics. They had no emotion, no feelings whatsoever. They were disconnected from the creation, from the creatures here on earth, at least in the minds of those who invented these fictitious characters. The thought of God wanting to meet individually and personally with Mary. And to do so in the front of watching eyes of, of others. For this to be a private moment. And I want you to know that maybe you are also where Mary is today. Maybe you haven't lost a family member. But maybe you're in the midst of a situation. As Don said, it was a very trying week this week. There's a lot of things going on in the world. In my life. In your life. might feel like the world's being turned upside down on you i i want you to know that jesus seeks to meet with you personally and individually because he cares for you and he desires to attend to those needs he is calling for you in fact for you to to leave your circumstances behind and to come and meet with jesus outside of the city, if you will, away from all the the noise and the commotion from all those people who have gathered who are are talking and and come and meet with Jesus, meet alone with him, because ultimately only Jesus can comfort that troubled heart of ours. Only the love of Jesus can can bind up the brokenhearted. Only Jesus can truly pour the, the oil of his healing grace into your wounded heart and make it whole again. So I want you to notice next that the deep emotions of Jesus in verse thirty-three, when Jesus was, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This word uh, for weeping, cleo, uh, means loud wailings expressing uncontainable, audible grief. This is a scene of absolute, intense, emotional sorrow. In fact, if you saw some of the videos this week as the atrocities perpetrated by those terrorists, there, there were Afghan women wailing over the bodies of their loved ones. Is the heart expressing, uncontainable, audible grief is this word. And Jesus sees all of this. And please note the result of this. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This profoundly affected the Lord Jesus on multiple levels. First, please understand, he is not a stoic sovereign. No, not the Lord Jesus. He, he's not a mechanical Messiah. He, he's not a, a robotical redeemer. He, he's not just up in heaven making chess moves in heaven, divorced from feelings and emotions. No, Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit These words, deeply moved, is is one word in the original Greek. It's an interesting word, and the English translation doesn't do a good job of capturing it here. It means to groan inwardly, to admonish sternly, and to be moved in anger. It's used to portray an angry horse snorting out his nose. It represents a, a deep groan from the depths of his humanity, from the, from the very depths of his being. John also adds that Jesus was greatly troubled. It, th- these words literally mean to be stirred up, causing inner perplexity, emotional agitation. He, he is stirred up at the, the very depths of the Lord Jesus' being. Jesus is totally invested emotionally. And it is the weeping of Mary and Martha that in part causes Jesus to later weep. Think about that. Their weeping in part led to His weeping. Their weeping caused the Lord Jesus to weep. But this is far more. This is an intense upsurge of an emotion that could be seen on the face of the Lord Jesus. And don't think that only 2,000 years ago That Jesus did this. Jesus is still in glorified humanity. When Jesus returned to the right hand of Father in heaven, he didn't return to it to a pre incarnate spirit state. So when you and I are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when we experience the sorrows and the pain that this broken world gives to us, Jesus can feel our sorrows. But why these words that mean indignation, that there's there's much more going on here than just entering into the women's grief. Jesus is greatly troubled. He's allowed himself to feel this deep emotion that's stirring up inside of him. There is sorrow and sadness, and I would say a, a righteous anger. Every emotion... It's coming in and it grips him in his spirit, in his inner being. This is like why Hebrews 4 says that he was in all points tempted as we are. He, he's been touched with the feelings of our, of our infirmities as our high priest. He's sad because yes, he's lost his friend. But there's more here than that. Jesus feels a far more transcendent pain. He he feels a a cosmic, eternal pain. There there are hundreds of people that have gathered around that are grieving over the death of Lazarus. Hundreds of onlookers and unbelievers who are representative of a a whole nation of unbelievers who are all, all heading towards eternal suffering. And Jesus allows Himself here. In his humanity, to experience the, the emotions of it, he feels all of it. The only other way I could kind of make a comparison is it's maybe a little bit like the, the agony that he felt in the Garden of Gethsemane, where it describes the Lord Jesus being exceedingly sorrowful as he anticipates the sin bearing of the cross. So what do I think Jesus is so angry at? He's angry at, at? he's angry at what he's come to defeat. The wages of sin is death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It, this is not how I made you. This is not what I've wanted for you. But here Jesus feels the devastating effects that sin has brought on to His creation. He's experiencing with His creation, in His humanity, the the loss and the brokenness and the total devastation that sin brings. So when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, and Mary's at the Lord's feet, broken over her, her brother's death, He is deeply moved in the spirit and he's greatly troubled. The Lord Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven. I am the bread that came down out of heaven to come into this world of woe. And he didn't disconnect himself from it, he got into our own skin, he walked in our own shoes. And he feels not just intellectually, but experientially, what we feel. He's been tested at all points, such as we. Last week, <coughs> we sang a, a a song called "Taste and See" that the Lord is good. And if you read the bulletins, I did a wrote up on, on Psalm 34. It spoke to me the, the whole chapter and. Um. The the lyrics that we sang last week come from Psalm 34, the Psalm of David, a wonderful psalm. And, And as I was studying this week, those verses just kept ministering to me all week long. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see. Taste and see. Beloved, in times of trouble and heartache and uncertainty, Do you still taste and see the goodness of our Lord? I pray that you do. David sure did. That's why he could say, how blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. How blessed are we that we can throw ourselves at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. David was a man who, yes, spent many years up on the the mountaintops of life, if you will. He experienced much of God's favor. But he also went through the valleys. He experienced deep, profound loss in his own life. He lived life feeling like the hunted. He experienced these things, but he knew who to turn to. He always found refuge in the Lord. So Psalm 34, verse 15, David writes, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cries for righteous cry and the Lord hears and He delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I can say to you today on the authority of God's Word that if you are crushed in spirit and if you are brokenhearted, the Lord has never been closer to you if you are one of His own. And He feels what you feel because He's not only the Son of Man, He is the Son of God as well. So in verse 34, Jesus is ready to step in. The, the time is now. His timing is perfect. He said, where have you laid Him? There's no hesitation here. It was just all a matter of God's timing. Where have you laid Him? It was, it was, it was, it was necessary that Lazarus died so that now there could be a far greater good. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. So this brings us now to point number three of the Lord's humanity and his weeping heart. The weeping heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. We now come to the shortest verse in our English Bible. Just... Two words, Jesus wept. There are no verses in the Bible that tell us of Jesus laughing, though surely he did because he was perfect humanity. But we do have this record of Jesus weeping. And uh, it is rightly so astonishing that the translators of the Bible have always just singled this out as a verse unto itself. Verse 35. When John wrote this, there were no chapters and no verses. (laughs) Those who uh, translated supplied those centuries later, but as they now come to translate these words and, and to put it into writing for us as readers... Verse 35 is a standalone verse to draw our attention. So this is not lost in some long sentence or, or a, a running paragraph just tossed in and mixed in there. It just sits there, these two words. Jesus wept. James uh, Montgomery Boyce uh, writes of these two words, quote, underline it. Mark it with red ink. Add an explanation point to it. Print it in capital letters. Jesus wept. Let us be astonished and amazed by this. Charles Spurgeon preached two entire sermons on just these two words. And Spurgeon said there is infinitely more in these two words than any sermonizer or student of the word will ever be able to bring out of them even though he should apply the microscope of the utmost attentive consideration, closed quote. Spurgeon is saying, man, you can, you can put a microscope over these two words and, and peer down into them and you'll, you'll never even begin to see and capture all that is bound up in these two words that the king of glory wept. And I don't think it's over Lazarus, That's kind of a sentimental, devotional thought. Jesus knows what He's getting ready to do to Lazarus. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. There's there's no suspense in the the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what's about to happen. He's going to come up to that, that grave in a loud voice and say, Lazarus, come out! And He'll come walking out of that grave. No, I think these words Jesus wept are here because he's fully entered into this seeing sorrow. He sees sin. He sees death. He sees the sadness that Mary and Martha are experiencing from it. He is weeping as they are weeping. This word for weep is docruo. It's a very rare word. In fact, this is the only place in all of Scripture And it rightly deserves to just stand alone in the Bible with a lot of white space around it as these black letters will leap off the page at us. This word weep means to weep silently with tears. In contrast to the wailing of the sisters and everyone else who who is mourning, Jesus stands alone in some sense as the tears just pour down His face as the Lord Jesus sits there and silently they just flow from the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ as He looks out at His creation. What do these two words tell us about Jesus? That He was truly a man. That He had emotions like every other man yet with a far greater love. That He, he felt sympathy And he felt compassion. And he felt sorrow. He felt even more than Mary and Martha could feel because he is the Son of God. And he is the Son of Man. And by the way, that's the one to whom you pray through to the Father. You come to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of your storms of life, in the midst of your loss and own suffering And you have one at the right hand of the Father who not only understands, but who feels what you feel. Listen to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, referring to his incarnation, Jesus offered up both prayers and supplications. Listen to this with loud crying and tears. In his incarnation, Jesus wasn't just going through some checklist as He went along. He was pouring out His soul in prayer and, and feeling for those for whom He prayed for. And He continues to make intercession for us. The right hand of God the Father and glorified humanity with these same intense emotions. The last section I want you to see and point out to you is number four in our outline and that is the loving affection of Jesus anyone standing there could see the loving affection that Jesus had for his creation look at verse 36 so the Jews were saying The Jews here are are observing this. For they have followed Mary out of town where she has now fallen at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's as if they were looking as onlookers, observers from the outside, almost trespassing in this very intimate and personal scene between the Lord Jesus and Mary. So the Jews who were watching this were saying, And the only thing that they can conclude is what they say here in verse 36. See how he loved him. Can't you see it? Just look at his face. Listen to the words he's saying. See the tears that are pouring out of his eyes and are running down his face. See how he loved him. This word loved you would think would have been the usual word for love, agapeo, but it's not. It's the word phileo. Phileo. Which is more of a a brotherly love. But in a sense this word is so appropriate because agapeo love focuses upon the sacrifice that is made for the one who is loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God s- demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's agapeo love. It's the, the sacrificial giving of yourself. The sacrificial giving of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I make this point? Because this is not agapeo love. This is phileo love, which speaks of an emotional feeling, a brotherly connection of love. And here we see it's not just for Mary and Martha, it's also for Lazarus. There is a bond that Jesus feels with all of his followers. They're not just some number he calls. No, he calls the sheep by name, does he not? And the Lord Jesus knows Lazarus personally and intimately And there is a a tight emotional bond that he has with those who have turned their backs on sin and the world who have repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in him. Jesus wraps his arms around those and there is a deep attachment, even an, an emotional attachment that Jesus feels towards his own. And this crowd sees it. They see it in the Lord Jesus. And that's why they say, see how he loved him. Can you see it? It was on the faith of the Lord Jesus. And this is what the world should see in you and in me. John 13, verse 34 through 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my my disciples if you have love for one another. It could probably be said that the greatest apologetic for our faith in Christ is that the love that we demonstrate for others within the body of Christ Jesus whom he loves. There is a special bond, a, a unique fellowship We have together as the body of Christ. When you look around here, you should be able to say this about you and for me. See how she loves him. See how he loved her. See how he loves him. There is such a a bond of fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ among us that at times it runs even deeper than our own flesh and blood family. Because we are, we are welded together in the body of Christ at a far deeper and more profound eternal place where we are going because we are in Christ together that we are kindred spirits in the Lord. This word loved was used earlier in the chapter. It says in verse 3, In the letter, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And when the Apostle John sits down and, and starts commissioning by the Holy Spirit as he writes this gospel, which has taken over 50 years since this time that he has sat down and wrote it, he's had a lot of time to sit and reflect on his time spent with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was John, you remember, who was the only disciple who who did not run off, but rather he stayed with Mary at the cross and saw the crucifixion of our Lord. The rest of the apostles scattered, but John hung in there. And so when John writes this gospel five, maybe six decades later, do you know that he never even writes his own name in his book? We have no mention that John is the author of the Gospel of John. Because John is so overwhelmed when he thinks back on his time that he spent with the Lord Jesus Christ that he will not even put his own name in the Gospel of John. He simply identifies himself this way in in John chapter 13, verse 23, and in other places, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. John says, don't name a a city after me. Don't name a hospital after me. Just remember that I was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's who Lazarus was. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's who you are, my friend. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are are the apple of his eye. You are the object of his affection. When you hurt, he hurts. When you rejoice, he rejoices. You are the disciple whom Jesus loved. Feel the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ upon you. Well, in verse 37, we conclude this part of the scene and there's, there's quite a contrast here in verse 37. It's, a, it's an eye-opener and it ends in the middle part of the narrative with kind of a, a dose of reality. N- not everybody knows Jesus like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There are people who just are, are along for the ride but they're not really in the boat. It says in verse 37, but some of them said, and there's a note of disdain here, could not this man, do you not hear a note of skepticism in that? Could not this man, no mention of the Son of God, no mention of the Christ, no mention of the teacher, no mention of Lord But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? It sounds as if they're second-guessing Jesus already. They're already casting scorn at Jesus and could be why the next chapter opens with Jesus again being deeply moved. At any rate, as I bring this section to a conclusion, I just want to close with three quick summarizing thoughts. Number one, you may be where Mary and Martha are in the story. You may have come to church today with a heavy heart. Uh, You may have ample reason to have sorrow in your heart. It's part of the human experience, but I want you to know that we are not alone in that experience. And when Isaiah the prophet... Was able to see the Messiah down the, the passage and the corridor of time. He prophesied in Isaiah 53 that Jesus would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Of all the Sundays for you to be here and for us to have this section of Scripture to cover today, I hope you can personalize this message and you can see the compassionate, loving, kind, tender Savior and He's calling for you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to console you. You need to meet with Jesus. You need like Mary to fall at the Lord's feet and you need to pour out your heart to Him and He will hear and He will enter into your sorrow and He will pour out onto you His peace and His comfort into your heart. His peace is far greater than any part of your heart that is broken. The second thing that we learn from this is we are reminded it's almost a glimpse into our future that that we have a, a glorious future awaiting us. Because the day is coming as described in Revelation 21 verse 4 when Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, anymore, for the former things will have passed away. Yeah, amen. That day is coming, beloved. That day is coming when you and I will literally literally be at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look up at him, I'm certain tears of joy will be pouring from our eyes. And Jesus will finally wipe those tears away and he will say to you, child, no more. No more tears. No more sadness. No more sorrow, no more sin, no more death, no more. He'll remove it all and we will enter into the celestial city and and there we will live with him forever and ever. And then finally, the third thing I would say is not everyone is going to the celestial city. Not everyone will have their tears wiped from their eyes. In fact, Jesus describes hell as a place where there will be those who will be in even greater sorrow, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will perish and yet never perish. There is a very real place called the lake of fire and brimstone. A place prepared for the devil and for his angels. Jesus has come into this world to seek, seek and to save that which is lost. The Bible says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The Savior is calling his sheep by name. Do you hear the Lord's voice? Do you hear him? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, "Come unto me, all ye that labor in our heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the invitation of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 3 says, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. Is your life in the, in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you fallen broken before the Lord? Is He your personal Lord and Savior? If not, I urge you to to cry out for him. Ask him to give you ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, and the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The overflow will gush you've never come to Christ by faith his arms are wide open his heart is wide open the sacrifice has been made upon the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago the wedding supper has already been prepared in heaven all you must do is come to him by faith and entrust your soul into the saving forgiving arms of the Lord Jesus Christ may God do that in your life today the uh The worship team has a wonderful declaration of truth for us to close with. Um, Would you please all stand as we sing the song of invitation? Oh, this is going to be a good one. Up in the house of God, get ready to worship.